Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, for the back half of this summer, we have been looking together at the Psalms, and this morning we're going to read Psalm 77 together. Last week, uh, Pastor Tyler said that the Psalms uh, express the wealth of human emotion. Um, I like the way that he put it. That's a way of saying that there's nothing that people like us can feel that we can't also find being felt in the Psalms. And I think Psalm 77 is a pretty good example of that. It touches on a feeling that maybe not all of us here this morning have experienced. But even if we have not, we certainly know someone who has. Charles Spurgeon was this larger-than-life 19th century preacher, and he said that in order to really understand Psalm 77, it is needful to have done business on the great waters. And that was his way of colorfully and delicately saying that the writer of Psalm 77 was experiencing a deep and debilitating depression. And I think you'll hear that when I read the psalm. So let me read Psalm 77 for us. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the light night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this psalm, this psalm in particular. And we ask that you would be happy as we talk about it together and think about it together to meet us in the places where we find ourselves this morning. 
those of us who are in faith and those of us who are outside of faith, those of us who feel close to you, those who feel far away, those who are filled with joy, and in particular those who are filled with sadness. Meet us where we are and show us the grace of Jesus and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, like uh, many of you, uh, as people do this time of year, our family got away for a few days of vacation this summer. I know that a bunch of you did as well because I saw a steady stream of your vacations fly by in my Instagram feed. Uh, the bakers wanted quiet uh, and rest this year, so we ended up in the farmlands of southeastern Minnesota. And that's exactly how we thought about it. We didn't need to see a certain location um, or go to a certain place. We didn't want to see a certain site or visit with certain people like we usually do on vacation. The goal was simply quiet and rest. And my job was to find a place where that was possible, and it could have been anywhere. And in that way, uh, it was less like our usual vacations and more like a pilgrimage in the original sense of the word pilgrimage. Pilgrims go to places that are holy not because they're necessarily interested in the geography of the place that they're headed to, but more because of what they will believe will happen to them when they get there. Pilgrims go where they go to find blessing or rest or peace. And I bring this up because Psalm 77 is a little bit like a pilgrimage. In fact, Walter Brueggemann, the Old Testament scholar, calls this psalm a speech pilgrimage. The writer of this psalm wants to move from where he is to somewhere else, but he doesn't do it by physically changing his geography. He does it by speaking. He does it specifically through the movement and the song and the power of poetry. This psalm writer is in misery, and he wants out. So he leans into the only thing he's got. He sings his way towards the light. Maybe you know what this feels like. I've had to do this in my own life. I've had to move out of darkness into light, and when I did, I don't mind telling you I used Psalm 77. I prayed it, and I read it over and over again. It was one of the most important things I did in that moment. And maybe you've been in the same spot as the psalmist is. Maybe it's a regular part of your life. Maybe you are there right now. Maybe someone you love is there right now. And I want you to know Psalm 77 is for people like us. Along with 11 other psalms, this psalm is attributed to someone named Asaph. Now, we don't know much at all about this guy, Asaph, but when you read his psalms, there are certain things that emerge from his psalms. Spurgeon, that preacher I mentioned before, he suffered from depression during his adult years. This is how he talked about Asaph. He said he was thoughtful, contemplative, believing, often touched with the minor key and with a dash of sadness about him. Now, if it seems strange that the Psalms contain songs that were written by someone who could be described like that, 
someone in the minor key, someone who had a dash of sadness about them, then all I can say is welcome to the wonder of the Psalms, written by people just like us, for people just like us, and given to us by God for our good. So Asaph begins with resolution. He begins resolute. He says, I cry aloud to God and he will hear me. He will hear me. (laughs) And church, this is the essential posture of faith. I mean, don't get me wrong. In a couple of lines, just a few lines later in this poem, in the song, he's going to speak out his doubts and his darkest questions. And they are incredibly heavy, as we will see. But he sings them to a God who he believes will hear him. The world is wide open to Asaph. It is not closed. It is wide open. He knows that what he sees, he knows that what he experiences in this present moment is not all that there is to existence. He knows that there are mysteries between himself and God and the world that are too great. He will not be able to figure them out. But he believes, ultimately, that he is not alone. He has faith. And in this way, the fact that he has faith is a pointer to another one who has faith. It's the one that Pastor Tyler last week referred to as the better pilgrim. The better pilgrim is Jesus. He also prayed out of darkness. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus offered up prayers with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. (laughs) This takes us, church, right to something that's at the heart of our faith, something that gives hope, something that gives comfort to those of faith who suffer for any reason that they suffer, and that is this, that our God doesn't just know suffering intellectually. Our God doesn't look at our suffering and wring his hands and wonder what to do about it. Our God has entered into our suffering. Our God has suffered alongside his sisters and his brothers, and he's done it with loud cries and tears. We are not alone, and that's the truth. Even though Asaph feels alone, even though he may physically be alone, he knows that he is not He knows that he will be heard, and so will we. Now, I know that there are some of us here this morning who who aren't quite there, who are not yet of faith, who don't have faith, maybe even don't want faith. And if that's you, I definitely want you to know that Christianity holds tenaciously to this belief that we are not alone in our suffering. But just as importantly... I want you to know you will be heard. (laughs) You can cry out, and when you do, you will be heard. So why? Why is Asaph crying out? Well, in verses 2 through 9, he describes the reasons that he is in painful, and to some of us here this morning, maybe very familiar, familiar detail. He says in verse 2 that he is in trouble, and then he sings about the nature of his trouble. He says, for one thing, he can't can't sleep. 
He yells all of this out to God. He says, all night long, my hand is stretched out without wearying. He tells God, listen, God, you are holding my eyelids open. In the night, he says, he tries to remember his song. And if you've ever suffered from insomnia or some sleepless nights, you know these are familiar images. This thing that had always brought some measure of comfort, some measure of rest, forsakes you. And the sorrow, the concern, the anxiety that sleep usually holds at bay now pierces into every single second of your existence with no barriers, no relief, and what seems like no end. I've been through a handful of weeks like this. I never felt more alone, more desperate, more out of control. And Asaph, he can't sleep because he's racked with concern. He says his soul refuses to be comforted. He says that his soul is so troubled he can't even speak. He's preoccupied with setting his memories of better times alongside the trouble of his present experience. He is ruminating on this endless loop, and he can't seem to turn it off. I consider the days of old, he says. I consider the years long ago. Let me remember my songs, those happy songs that I used to sing of better days. Maybe you've been there, too. And you know what that feels like. Maybe someone you love is there too. The tormenting comparisons that you go through. Everyone else seems happy. I used to be happy. Other people, they can get it together. Why can't I get it together? Their kids seem to be okay. She used to love me. He used to be everything to me. And now he's gone. And I'm alone in this sadness or in this chaos. And all all I have for my companion is this dark guest, this blanket, this melancholy, this despondency. And set alongside these two things, Asaph in verse 3 describes the kind of trouble that visits those who are in that experience and who also have faith in their lives. It is the problem of God. He says, when I remember God, I moan. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. I think these might be the most painful lines in the psalm. Because it's clear he's wondering, why isn't God doing anything he used to? It does not make him angry. It just makes him incredibly sad. Thinking about God is too painful because it feels like maybe God has forsaken him. Maybe that God doesn't have the time for me anymore. Maybe he has burned out in his love for me. And maybe you've been there. And maybe you know what that feels like too. And it's this feeling that leads him to those dark questions that he asks in verses 7 through 9. He goes to a really dark place and he starts to ask these questions. He says, has God shut up his compassion? Will God never again be favorable to me? Are his promises at an end for all time? 
Has his steadfast love for me forever ceased? Has he stopped loving me? Church, these are questions that strike at the very center of who God has told us and showed us that he is. God has told us that he he keeps promises, and we have seen with our own eyes that he has done it to his own hurt. He has kept promises to his own pain. God has told us and shown us that he is gracious and compassionate. God has told us that he shows steadfast love forever, and we have seen it with our own eyes. And Asaph, of all people, knows those things, and he believes those things. But the present experience, his present experience, has taken him to the end of his rope. He's at the edge And so he admits that these elemental things, these bedrock things that he has believed his whole life, now he is unsure of them. And thinking about God makes him hurt. Asaph is in the place where the expanse between himself and God, that gulf seems too great, too, too far. And maybe you've been there too. Maybe you're there now. And if that's you, believe me, please believe me. God has given this psalm to you for your good. So that you know you are not alone. At the very least, you have a fellow traveler. Someone who knows exactly what it is that you're going through. Someone you don't need to explain all of this stuff to. Someone who knows. I'm glad, really, that we don't know the circumstance that has caused this particular affliction in Asaph's life. Um, I think it's good not to know because it helps us to find our own place in the song if we need to. could have been anything for him, like it could be anything for us, a loss of some kind, a death. the rupture of a relationship that was meaningful to us, a longing that has been unmet for far too long, or maybe we can't quite put our finger on it. We don't know why we feel this, but we do. And we feel powerless at the onslaught. There are times in our lives where we go through these kind of things, where these things hit us. We hit that wall, that blanket falls over us, and we can believe the things that are absolutely positively true. All of the things that we know are true in that moment, we can believe that we're not alone, that these things that are happening to us don't define us. They don't say who we are. You know, that these things are things that belong in our lives, that they are somehow working genuine good that we can't quite understand in the moment, that our suffering is not comparable to the glory, to the newness that will one day be revealed to us. These are all true, church, and sometimes we can grasp them, sometimes we can hold on to them, sometimes we can believe them. We don't like the thing that has caused our hurt, but it has not incapacitated us. Thank God for those times. But sometimes, 
we can't. And we're restless. And we can't stop thinking about better days and setting our memories of those better golden days alongside our present and comparing the two on an endless loop and sleep escapes us and we think about what God is or isn't doing in our lives and we feel pain. And when that happens, we need to take a pilgrimage out of that dark place. And so that's what Asaph begins to do. He, he starts to think about God. He begins to remember again. But this time it is about God, not in relationship to himself, not in relationship to the circumstances that he is going through. He starts to think about God in relationship to the whole world. The shift begins to happen in verse 10. He says, then I said, I will appeal to this. The years of the right hand of the Most High. This must have been incredibly, incredibly difficult for him to do. But I can only imagine that he does this because he has learned that in the past it has helped him. And in verses 11 through 14, he sets his own circumstance aside for a moment. And he starts to think about these core memories, these core beliefs that he has about God. He sings about God's deeds and he sings about his wonders and he sings about God's work and he sings about God's way. He says, I'm going to remember these things. I'm going to ponder these things. I'm going to meditate on these things. He is just piling up, just jumbling together all of this language about memory. Memory makes up such a large part of the prayers that we see in the Psalms. And honestly, memory makes up a large part of what we do when we are here together on Sunday. You ever wonder why our worship looks the way that it does? Why we do the same thing every week, week in and week out? Why we often use the very same words to do them? Why we're always talking and singing about God's grace to us in Jesus. Why we're standing and sitting when we do those same things every week. One of the reasons we do those things every Sunday is so that we remember. It's so that we remember. Because one of the effects that memory has is to give us health by weakening our anxiety about the present. The church learned this from the Psalms, the Psalms like this one. This is what Asaph is doing. He is returning to core memories and beliefs about the God that he knows is there. And it takes him to two very specific places on his pilgrimage. One of them is in verses 16 through 19. Asaph remembers that God is great. Great as in stunningly, frighteningly powerful. This is what Asaph remembers. Your arrows flash on every side. Your thunder is in the whirlwind. The earth trembles at your approach. When the waters saw you, God, they were afraid. The deep trembled. <laughs> I came across a video the other day uh, of a humpback whale breaching just a few feet away from this tiny little boat. It had like 10 or 12 people on this boat. 
And man, when this whale breached, the people on that boat lost their minds. <laughs> I mean, once they realized that they weren't going to die, they started laughing, they started crying. You could hear the fear, you could hear the joy. It was awesome. <laughs> and do you know what those people experienced? Those people experienced a microscopically infinitesimal representation of the immense incalculable power of the deep. <laughs> you guys, we are nothing to the deep. <laughs> All seven million of us on this terrestrial ball, we are nothing in the face of the great deeps. One big plate shift and we are helplessly gone. And that's true. <laughs> but the deeps are afraid of God. They tremble. They beg for mercy when he comes around. <laughs> he walks through the deeps like they are puddles with footprints that are unseen. He tames the chaos at creation. He tames the chaos of the storm. God is great. And that matters. And Asaph sings about it in his song. Why does Asaph sing about the greatness, the power, the immensity of God in his song? Because he knows the end to which all of that incredible power has been harnessed. He knows the end. He knows the people for whom all of that power is directed. It's in verses 15 and 20. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. You took them by the hand and you led them out like a flock. He's talking about the exodus from Egypt when God brought his people out of slavery and into freedom through the sea. So yeah, Asaph has remembered that God is great and powerful, but he's also remembered what that greatness served and what that greatness pointed to. God used his greatness and his power to redeem because he loves. Because he loves. If you only hear one thing that I say this morning, I hope that's this. Asaph remembered that God is love. This is the answer to all of those dark questions that he asked. Are his promises at an end? Has he shut up his compassion? Will he never again be favorable? Has his love for me burned out? Has it ceased? No, never, because that is not who God is. And so in my present, in the midst of this debilitating darkness, experiencing things that I can't understand, I remember this. God is powerful and he loves me. God is powerful. And he loves me. God is powerful. And he loves me. Sometimes that's all that people like you and I have. And it is enough. God is powerful. And he loves you. Now I suppose the psalm could have ended with Asaph saying, wow, I really feel better now. I'm glad that's over. <laughs> 
some of the psalms that start like his started end in places that are kind of like that, but this one doesn't. And it's okay. Like I said, when I went through what I went through a few years back with depression and, and anxiety and insomnia and all of the stuff that comes with it, this was the psalm that I read. This is the psalm that I prayed through over and over and over again. It was some of the only scripture that I was able to read because it made sense to me. But it didn't flip a switch for me. It didn't turn off all that I was struggling with. I mean, that would have been fine, by the way, and I would be happy to stand up here and tell you that that's what happened, but it didn't. But it told me I wasn't. I wasn't alone. It encouraged me that God thought enough of me to give a guy like me this psalm. And it made me remember God is powerful and he loves me. And in that way, it made a place in my life for God to lead me, just one little teeny tiny part of his flock, by the hand into the pilgrimage that I needed. And so this brings us back to the better pilgrim that we talked about earlier. Of course, this brings us back to Jesus because as great as the Exodus was, as incredible as the Exodus was, it was a shadow of the power that Jesus has harnessed, the might and the love that Jesus has expressed for his people. He entered into our suffering and into our darkness in order to redeem people like you and me ultimately out of that darkness forever. And his cross and his resurrection and his ascension stand forever as clear signs of the truth that we hear again and again and again in this psalm. Jesus is powerful. And he loves us. Let me pray for us. The surpassing power, God, it belongs to you and not to us. And we are grateful that that surpassing power has been used in love to redeem people like us and to bring healing to people like us, to bring forgiveness and new life and restoration. So, Father, help us to believe, especially those of us here who, who find thinking about you in this moment like the psalmist did is painful. Help us to believe you are powerful and you love us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.